This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Whether it's a bit of bakshish or a multi-million dollar kickback, corruption undermines institutions and perpetuates inequality around the globe. In this talk from Ashoka, Transparency International's founder Peter Eigen examines the toll of corruption and explains how new social, political, and legal breakthroughs may help to overcome it. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Today we're excited to bring you a presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. In this series, you will meet six eminent global social entrepreneurs who are the founding members of Ashoka's Global Academy as they share their insights, strategies, and vision for change. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is looking for part-time website editors and audio engineers. It's not enough to quit your day job, but we do pay small amounts for each published program. For more information, visit the conversationsnetwork.org website. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. And now, here's our presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. The definition of corruption, which we use at Transparency International, is uh, relatively broad because we can rely on our national chapters to flesh it out in a practical and functional sense in their own environments. We simply call corruption the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. Corruption has an incredible um, impact on, on the world. The, the World Bank, for instance, has estimated that every year about $1 trillion are misallocated through corruption, are stolen by corrupt people. Uh, and um, I think this is a huge number, but um, I also believe that this is only a small part of the actual damage that is done through corruption. Because if you, say, pay to a corrupt minister $10 million uh, to be deposited on an account in, in Liechtenstein or so, or in the Bahamas, in order to get a wrong decision about a $500 million project, then the damage is not only the 10 million, but it is the 500 million in terms of future debt service, in terms of resources uh, withdrawn from other parts of the economy. Uh, the environment may be destroyed, which is uh, irreparable for many, many generations, um, and so on. So the damage you do through a bad project is far, far more than the 10 million dollars which are stolen by this corrupt minister, because that damage. Uh, in my opinion, may very well be the main reason for the poverty in many parts of the world. I have seen this when I was the director of the World Bank office in, 
in Nairobi, I saw how through corruption, the wrong decisions about investment in the power sector, in um, the health sector, in the transportation sector, were initiated and um, led to a total misallocation of the scarce resources in that country to huge white elephant projects which benefited, say, the suppliers from the north and a few kleptocrats in, uh, in Kenya, but uh, did nothing for the people. Democratic Republic of the Congo could be one of the richest countries of the world. It has everything. It has fantastic minerals, it has other natural resources, it has wonderful people, it has good geographic uh, uh, access to the, to the world. The Congo could be one of the richest, could be a paradise. You know, the same thing, Nigeria. You know, Nigeria has everything. Same thing in uh, Argentina. You know. And instead, through corruption, these countries are turned into living hells for the people. Generations of children who are stunted in their growth in rich countries because they don't have enough to eat. 2.4 billion people in the world don't have access to sanitation. So the damage you do in terms of creating desperation and hopelessness, and then eventually also the anger uh, and the energy, which very often unloads itself in conflict and violence, as we see in, in, in countries like the Congo, like Sierra Leone, like Liberia, and uh, which then eventually also lead to terrorism and attacks uh, in safer parts of the world. Uh, all of this uh, seems to be very largely caused by the corruption which is all pervasive in so many parts of the world. I think it's important to distinguish between different types of corruption. I mean, there's petty corruption at the local level, and then from there all the way up to grand corruption, uh, international corruption. Now, the response to the different types of corruption uh, has to be different. And uh, we therefore believe strongly that uh, the first most important ingredient is that one has to empower local civil society to understand what the problem of corruption is, to understand that this is something which can be dealt with. Uh, this is not something which is like the weather, uh, a God-given reality that one simply has to adapt to. And um, uh, this is particularly important when it comes to petty corruption at the community level. The civil service in many countries in Africa, for instance, is terribly bloated. There's no budget for uh, proper pay, for uh, uh, rewarding uh, good performance, for instance. And uh, therefore, many um, heads of states, many governments simply rely on the fact that uh, these civil servants um, make their money by um, extorting it from, of course, the most vulnerable, the poorest people in the slums, uh, because they are uh, more easily um, subject to, to the kind of pressure by policemen, by health officials, and so on. In fact, in some countries, the whole generations of young people are being lost because uh, their parents cannot afford the bribes which are being demanded by school officials or by teachers. Petty corruption has to be addressed through awareness building, through campaigns uh, of non-tolerance for this, but also um, by providing tools to civil society uh, in order to protect themselves against corruption. So we have uh, in some countries, for instance, uh, helped uh, puppet players to go into the villages and uh, perform pieces uh, to the villagers in order to 
demonstrate to them what their rights and obligations are. In some Indian villages, uh, there are sort of report card systems where the people are asked to report about the performance of the civil service uh, in their particular uh, local communities. Uh, in Argentina, we have uh, uh, supported uh, campaigns where school children uh, stood in front of the entrance of municipal buildings asking the public, did somebody ask you for money? How much? And if then the mayor says this is not your business and, uh, and uh, throws them out, then they go to the media. You know. uh, we are working with cartoonists uh, who are very powerful in shaping the, uh, the awareness of people. We are very much interested to make sure that this enters also into the curriculum, for instance, of schools, uh, if possible, at a very, very early stage, that students uh, pick this up as an important value of their culture, of their society. Now, um, this is something which will take a long time, and uh, what uh, we can do as an international non-governmental organization, we can help local civil society to interact with their governments, uh, to make it quite clear also to uh, the political leadership in the country that uh, this is a recipe of uh, disaster. From there you go all the way to the other end of the extreme, um, grand corruption. The, the really incredible uh, and scandalous uh, situation which we had in Europe, for instance, that under the laws of the home countries of large multinational corporations, uh, their bribery was allowed as long as it was outside the borders. They even got tax write-offs for this. One of the entry points of corruption in, in many institutions, in many markets, is public procurement. Because um, you very often have a total uh, uh, disproportion between, say, the salary which some civil servants and bureaucrats or even politicians uh, earn on the one hand and the amounts of money which um, are at play, hundreds and millions of dollars. Now there is a state of the art which has been I would say mainly developed by, uh, by the World Bank and their experts. I believe if one can make sure that these ground rules are followed by putting in place monitoring processes, giving access also to civil society and uh, to the media and so on, to the process, uh, then um, uh, procurement can be very uh, clean and can be very effective. But unfortunately, um, in many situations, uh, for instance, in situations of, um, uh, of a catastrophe, but also in, in situations of um, high unemployment, uh, uh, sort of a sense of urgency is created, which makes politicians and civil servants avoid the niceties of this full process. And uh, uh, this means that very often negotiations behind closed doors where uh, huge margins of money uh, may go into the wrong pockets. Uh, we have seen this in connection with the uh, procurement for uh, the supplies and reconstruction of Iraq, for instance, uh, even though the United States normally has a very strict uh, procurement system, which is very well monitored and so on. What is needed is an attempt to build in sanctions, to build in an agreement, a confidence that there cannot be corruption and no tolerance um, uh, philosophy, but also uh, credible monitoring. How do you deal with this? Uh, 
uh, we appealed in the beginning uh, to sort of the value system of uh, business leaders in, in Europe. We said, uh, you would never do this in your own country. And we found that uh, while we may have had some impact on the, uh, on the good conscience of some of these business leaders who authorized and, uh, and ran this scandalous scheme, uh, they couldn't really do much about it because they felt if they stopped their own company from um, bribing abroad, then all the contracts would go to less scrupulous competitors. And uh, the same thing was true, say, with the German government. They said if we stop our companies from bribing abroad, then all the contracts will go to France or to Japan or to Canada or to, to Sweden. Uh, so everyone was caught eventually after uh, decades of uh, systematic bribery in this trap of uh, not being able to stop. So what do you do in a situation like that? I think the uh, most important instrument which we developed ourselves was uh, firstly to recognize that you had to work with the people who are uh, caught in this prisoner's dilemma. You could not simply um, investigate their bribes and then uh, expose them as say, Amnesty International does. We had to bring them on board uh, to a joint strategy against corruption. Uh, this meant that we had to understand their interests, their short and long-term interests and their dilemmas. Um, so we found out very quickly that there are a lot of companies that really want to get out of corruption uh, but didn't know how to do it. Uh, because it became very risky for them, in particular companies that have an important global brand name. If they are caught in corruption scandals, they will very quickly uh, suffer because uh, the customers will not buy their product anymore, people will not want to work for them anymore. Um, they will have uh, a tremendous uh, problem over the long term. And I think many companies had recognized this uh, predicament and we're really looking for an escape route from this prison in which they had put themselves. Therefore, um, we developed one idea which uh, we called at the beginning the island of integrity. Uh, the idea was that we would uh, identify areas of competition between big companies or exporting nations for huge contracts uh, and uh, see whether we could not uh, get all the competitors around the table and agree with them that they will stop simultaneously this terrible practice of uh, bribery. We now call this uh, less romantically uh, uh, a integrity pact. But this is being applied now in, in about a hundred cases in Latin America and Africa and Asia and um, has proven to be really the uh, escape route for those uh, major players in the international community that would like to stop bribing but do not want to suffer the consequences from it. And uh, what we now do, we have a, a legal structure which is um, uh, contractual in nature where everybody has to sign up and uh, where strong sanctions are introduced for violating this non-bribery pledge like liquidated damages for instance, like uh, blacklisting. Um, also we introduced a system of forfeiture of uh, bid securities because very often when you put in a bid you have to provide bank guarantees and performance bonds. Uh, so if this is forfeited then uh, this is a severe sanction.
Uh, we also introduced system of monitoring, in particular in countries where there are uh, transparency international national uh, uh, chapters, uh, so that they get access to the various strategic stages of a bidding process. So we have um, developed this uh, re relatively technical and complex system of creating small competitive situations in which every uh, participant can uh, be confident that the others also don't bribe. And if one does not find uh, these kind of areas of common interest, uh, it is very hard for civil society organizations to make a difference. While our small island of integrity approach was um, a very good entry, uh, for us the great quantum jump into a better legal system worldwide was the fact that the OECD sponsored a convention which was signed by 35 exporting countries in which they all promised to prohibit the external bribery to their own exporters. And um, this was eventually signed in the fall of uh, 1997. It entered into force uh, in February in 1999. And now we have a legal system, a legal system on paper, in which um, it is quite clear that a company from Germany or Japan or Sweden or France is not allowed to bribe outside their borders. It is important that civil society follows this with tremendous vigilance. Uh, we just found that both uh, the UK and uh, Japan uh, are not properly implementing these new rules and uh, we are uh, pushing uh, the governments partly through our national chapters, partly through our central organization at meetings with the OECD expert group. We are pushing them to do what is necessary to keep their own exporters also from bribing into the, in the, in the international marketplace. So these were the two extremes. You know, in between you have many different, uh, different forms of, of corruption. Uh, in particular, uh, you have uh, this very damaging uh, phenomenon of, of political corruption, you know, political party financing, which is uh, poorly um, implemented. So you find out that even very prominent politicians in Germany, in France, in the UK, in, in, the, uh, in the US, they uh, flout these rules and uh, thereby create a sense of uh, distrust um, and lack of enthusiasm for the whole political class and in fact for democracy as such, which is a very big threat worldwide. You know, we have found that in many parts of Latin America, for instance, uh, the interest of the people in democracy is going down because uh, they simply don't trust uh, the system because it is so much affected by, by political corruption. What do you do there? Again, um, it's a mixture of getting civil society involved, getting them empowered to get the right information, to get the right tools, to understand what is done in other parts of the world and then um, uh, run campaigns, uh, make sure that uh, you have uh, coalitions with the media, uh, with uh, uh, other interest groups in order to promote a system which uh, does away over time with what has become a corrupt uh, campaign and political party financing system in most parts of the world. We see ourselves as an advocacy organization. The whole thrust of our work is to 
change policies, to improve policies. Now, uh, the form this kind of advocacy takes um, depends very much on the, on the issue involved. Sometimes we have to be pretty tough, we have to be pretty uh, uh, confrontational. Um, so uh, while we do not uh, go into individual cases of corruption and uh, investigate them and expose them, we have absolutely no problems with attacking companies, attacking governments, agencies, international organizations, if they do what we consider to be either corrupt or conducive to corruption. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, this kind of advocacy can take many, many roles. It can take the role of uh, making phone calls and complaining about certain things, organizing press conferences, press briefings uh, in which we disclose um, certain issues which we, which we know about. Uh, it may even include demonstrations. It uh, may include going to joint conferences with important business leaders and influence them in their thinking. So um, advocacy for us has uh, very many different faces. Uh, we uh, at Transparency International have activities which are mainly focused on awareness building, publications, our conferences, our index, our educational uh, efforts. Uh, secondly, we develop tools in order to address weaknesses in the integrity system of countries that have a corruption problem. In many different languages, our integrity source book has been translated into 25 languages by now. The most of the work which our movement does, uh, in particular in the trenches, is handled by our national chapters. Uh, they are the ones who do the diagnosis of their own problems in their own country, and they are the ones who design coalitions in their own context, and we are like a service organization supporting them in developing uh, good strategies against corruption in their own countries. But we need a civil society which is independent, which is credible, which is um, uh, able to also criticize uh, particular things in government, in the party, uh, and um, that is very difficult to achieve in a country like China, uh, where uh, democracy to some extent is still, still lacking. And it's similar in, in other countries like, uh, say, Saudi Arabia or Kuwait. I mean, we have people supporting Transparency International from there, but uh, we don't have a active independent civil society which has taken this on and which has reached the critical mass. Of course, a precondition of having an energetic uh, fight against corruption is that there is a awareness among the people, uh, among the decision makers, um, that corruption is extremely dangerous and that something has to be done about it. And um, one of our most important tools in this area um, has been the global index which we produce every year, the Corruption Perception Index. Uh, this is an index in which we rank countries by the perception of thousands of people who are being questioned by independent opinion surveys, uh, last year by 17 independent surveys, uh, about their perception of how important corruption is in a given country. This list has uh, become a major tool. It, in fact, it is expected with some anxiety by some 
countries uh, and is always uh, put on the front page of many uh, important media uh, and um, has been like a miraculous tool to put our agenda um, on center stage in the world. We have been criticized that this uh, is somewhat one-sided, uh, in particular Prime Minister Mahathir of uh, Malaysia criticized us that this looks only at the perceived corruption by the recipients of bribes and um, that therefore naturally the third world looks worse than basically the hand that gives and offers the bribes. And uh, I think he is right. Uh, this was indeed a bias which is built in the Corruption Perception Index, but uh, we had uh, no data on the perceived corruption uh, of um, the companies coming from various uh, countries uh, in the exporting world. And um, uh, therefore we had to develop our own survey, uh, and we have done this, and that is our Bribe Payers Index. It was a very revealing uh, instrument, which by the way also uh, ranked various sectors um, uh, in accordance with their perceived vulnerability to bribery, where the construction sector is the worst, uh, arms uh, trade and arms uh, and military supplies is the second, then comes the energy sector. Uh, it's sort of uh, instinctively the right uh, order and uh, uh, has helped us to uh, deal with some of the issues in these sectors uh, more effectively. There has been a criticism that um, if we only measure perceptions, it is a rather impressionistic, subjective uh, criterion which uh, uh, may be very unfair. It is uh, practically impossible to prove corruption cases and therefore it is futile to try to simply measure actual corruption, proven corruption. Uh, uh, therefore we simply had to take a proxy for this, and that proxy is what educated people, what uh, victims of corruption, what participants in corrupt deals, what they perceive to be the corruption in a given situation. And we found that this is an extremely important proxy, which helped us to paint an image of the reality. Perceptions are very important, but uh, because of the weaknesses, we have also begun to apply some other methods, in particular in surveys which are done within countries. So we had surveys within Mexico, within Peru, within Kenya, for instance. Uh, uh, household surveys asking people how much money does your family uh, have to pay every year for bribes? You know, how often are you asked for a bribe? Uh, did you pay bribes yourself? Uh, and so on. And uh, based on these surveys we have started a new tool which we call uh, the uh, corruption barometer, which uh, this year has uh, quite a number of countries uh, listed. So building awareness is a tremendously uh, important starting point for fighting corruption. And uh, that awareness, of course, has uh, tremendously changed in the last, uh, I would say, five years. You know. The whole philosophy of uh, our organization, of Transparency International, is that we want to work as much uh, together with other NGOs, with uh, the business community, with governments, with international institutions, as possible. We um, partnered with a New York-based uh, non-governmental organization, which is called uh, Social Accountability International. Uh, was the idea that we would design 
a common standard which should be applied by companies um, as a basic principle for avoiding corruption in their own operations. And uh, that um, document, which uh, we now call Business Principles Against Bribery, uh, has in the meantime been adopted by all these participants. Uh, it was uh, very interesting that um, a first draft of that, which we presented to our membership in our meeting in Morocco two years ago, that this draft was attacked by some of our national chapters because it seemed to be too uh, permissive. And we had to go back to this uh, coalition which we had formed in London in order to change the wording. And it is that changed wording which then made it possible for us to pursue the leadership in this area. So this shows how civil society coalitions can sometimes um, uh, edge forward in an area in which, say, national legislators, uh, under the impression of uh, lobbyists and so on from their own constituencies, have made certain compromises. An illustration that uh, the contribution of a civil society organization is not only an intellectual or technical contribution, uh, which we also want to make, but it is also a contribution of uh, political credibility and, and legitimacy, which comes basically from the structure of a civil society organization. It is important to recognize that international institutions are the captives of their shareholders, and these shareholders are governments. As soon as the main shareholders uh, agreed, for instance, under the OECD convention that they would stop their own companies to bribe internationally. They would also, of course, allow their World Bank, where they held the majority of the votes, to become an active player. Because once you prohibit your own company to bribe, you want everybody else to stop also. And they have played the role in a fascinating, fantastic uh, away. They have introduced hundreds of projects, perhaps thousands of projects against corruption. They have done tremendous analytical work. They have used their resources in individual sector projects to promote anti-corruption measures, so much so that sometimes it was a bit uh, uh, frightening to small uh, NGOs who were gradually finding their feet to play a role in this area when the World Bank with all their might came in. And, uh, and promoted the anti-corruption agenda. And everybody else, the regional development agencies, African Development Bank, Asian Development Bank, IDB, they all have adapted uh, to, to this new uh, paradigm. They have changed their um, procurement guidelines. They have uh, strengthened their uh, financial auditing requirements. They have um, introduced uh, institutional reform uh, in connection with projects they do in their countries. Um, so it, it is a sea change which has taken place, and therefore, uh, in my opinion, this will not be reversed. But it is important that one uh, keeps uh, the light, the spotlight on this issue, because uh, the vested interests which would like to uh, interfere uh, from day to day will always be uh, alive, you know, and they will invent new ways uh, to circumvent the new ground rules, and they will find new ways to, to show the face, the ugly face of corruption again, and one has to be extremely vigilant in the future. 
For a long time, uh, Transparency International, and I in particular, uh, have been criticized for uh, not giving enough uh, weight to research. We felt that we knew enough about corruption and about what to do about it. We felt like street fighters, you know, who thought that we, we have uh, the knowledge which is necessary to carry our campaign forward. But uh, it became quite clear to us that, uh, first of all, uh, there was tremendous interest in the research community in academia to help us. To some extent, um, we felt that uh, the research community and the activists of civil society were like, uh, like ships uh, passing each other uh, during the night on, on the ocean. And therefore, uh, we began very quickly to uh, strengthen our interaction with uh, various universities, with various think tanks. And uh, it is quite clear, if we have a sound um, uh, explanation on the impact, for instance, of corruption on economic growth, if we can quantify this, uh, if we have uh, a sound description of what it means to have a corrupt electoral system, for instance, for uh, the reaction of the people uh, to democracy, to their leadership. Uh, these kind of things are powerful tools and therefore um, we feel that indeed uh, research and connection also with the research community are important for our effectiveness. The media are our strongest allies in doing our work. In fact, they are the, the weapon which we have when we want to face down a corrupt leader in business or in politics and so on. Um, I had situations where cabinet ministers in certain countries uh, try to make deals with me that I would not uh, complain about them in the media in return for them taking certain actions uh, to fight corruption and so on. Therefore, we have developed uh, friendships with some important journalists whom we include in some of our even uh, confidential discussions because they uh, are members of our team, basically. Plus, we have developed a very open um, relationship with uh, the media when they come and want to interact with us. We are very much aware of the fact that um, the media are also limited in the extent to which they can commit themselves to fighting corruption. Uh, they are subject to commercial constraints and they are very often we find that they are trying to be relatively mild on large companies that uh, give them a lot of advertising income. Uh, they are um, sometimes uh, close to one particular, particular political party. Uh, so um, we have to be aware that the media have themselves a corruption problem. And in fact, we are working with them to deal with some of these problems. One of the uh, tools of getting the attention of the media, getting the attention of the world, is our annual integrity award. Um, it gives us, on the one hand, the chance to protect and provide prominence to important anti-corruption fighters, whether they are part of our movement or not. Uh, also to honor people who have lost their lives in, in their fight against corruption. But at the same time, um, the uh, uh, event of giving these awards is a wonderful opportunity to uh, invite the media and give a uh, flesh and blood image of uh, people who are fighting corruption very effectively.
One of the most important uh, technical tools for getting our organization started uh, is a new information technology. Uh, our internal communications within the movement uh, is uh, incredibly facilitated through this. I sometimes have two, three iterations uh, in the decision-making process of my, my board. I mean, my board members, 12 board members, um, uh, are uh, in all different continents, and all, and, uh, they all are from different countries. And uh, we have, uh, say, these iterations on, on one day on important decisions. So it is uh, uh, unthinkable that we would have the same coherence, the same power of uh, starting initiatives and carrying them through if you wouldn't have this new technology. On the other hand, we have to also recognize that uh, the corrupt people of the world uh, also can use uh, the Internet. Money laundering uh, and uh, the, the hiding of uh, the proceeds of corruption and so on have also become much, much easier through these new office technologies. And uh, in that sense, we are a bit chasing a, a moving target, uh, and uh, therefore information technology is both a uh, great blessing for our work, but also to some extent a curse, because it makes it that much more difficult to deal with corruption. What seemed to be totally impossible only 10 years ago has in the meantime happened. Uh, many of the governments in the North and the South have recognized that uh, corruption has to be uh, prevented, it has to be controlled. Therefore, uh, we are very happy uh, to have been part of the design and the implementation of the OECD convention. We have seen regional conventions um, signed and, uh, and ratified. And of course, the crowning convention is the UN convention, which has been signed uh, by more than 100 countries uh, in the meantime. But um, the question is whether this kind of um, commitment can be maintained and um, whether some of the uh, new uh, ground rules which have been agreed uh, can now quickly be translated into reality. Because if, uh, say, a, a group of companies sees that their competitors will not follow the new rules, then they will begin very quickly to shift their own uh, lobbying, their own efforts uh, to find uh, loopholes themselves in order to participate and remain competitive with the others. So in a way we have a window of opportunity of a couple of years where all these uh, intentions, all these rules, all these conventions can be made to work. Within uh, many countries uh, a lot has to be done. I mean, for instance, the German chapter has been pushing the German government to introduce uh, freedom of information legislation, which is uh, clearly one of the main tools against corruption. This is why, uh, for instance, most of the Scandinavian countries are doing so well on our index, because they have uh, a system where basically every uh, agency has to give access to their files, you know, while in most other countries um, basically uh, all agency files are confidential or secret. You know. In Asia we have seen uh, tremendous changes. The Western Hemisphere uh, has been extremely promising during the last couple of years. When it comes to Africa, I'm much less optimistic. I mean, Africa 
has a, a tremendous legacy of corrupt leadership. The death and destruction which is being caused by the activities of uh, greedy companies, for instance, in countries like uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, uh, is uh, simply intolerable for the world and something has to be done. Central and Eastern Europe is still a, a great uh, battlefield. Uh, I'm optimistic in particular about the Balkans right now. The extension of the European Union uh, to new countries in, in Central Europe again will move forward the frontier of, uh, of the fight against corruption. So in, in many ways um, what has happened during the last five years is, is uh, breathtaking and what is necessary now is to make sure that what is now more or less uh, on paper um, is translated into reality. In this series, Ashoka hopes to inspire and spread awareness about social entrepreneurship and scalable solutions to global problems. The series is being used in the education arena, among businesses interested in corporate responsibility, by international development and civil society organizations, and by individuals seeking new careers and innovative ways to change the world. Ashoka would like to know what you think of this series. Please email your thoughts and ideas to Ashoka DVD at ashoka.org. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is looking for part-time website editors and audio engineers. It's not enough to quit your day job, but we do pay small amounts for each published program. For more information, visit the conversationsnetwork.org website. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Chris Hartman. Our website editor was Liz Evans. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you'll join us next time for another program from the Ashoka Social Entrepreneurship Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.